This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 86 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where, with my good friend and colleague Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive, literally going into the compliance weeds to talk about a compliance or compliance-related topic each week. First, a word about this week's sponsor, and this week's sponsor is my new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook. The Complete Compliance Handbook opened at number one in new releases in the business ethics category of Amazon.com, and sales have been robust. But what are some of compliance professionals across the country saying about it? Well, Lewis Sapperman, the chief compliance officer at Dun & Bradstreet, said, Tom Fox has been a trusted voice in the compliance community for many years with views on timely compliance and ethics issues that are always thoughtful and thought-provoking. His new book, The Complete Compliance Handbook, addresses the complete, complex matrix of compliance issues that all companies now face and is sure to provoke creative and interesting discussion. Why is this Complete Compliance Handbook so unique? It's because... I was able to incorporate the 2017 Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs and 2017 New FCPA Corporate Enforcement Policy directly into the book. There's no other book that has that information. So I hope you'll check it out. It's available on Amazon.com. Just type in the Complete Compliance Handbook. And if you'd like an autographed copy, you can find one on my website. I know you will find it useful. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt and I take a deep dive into the ZTE matter, specifically the uh, settlement with the Department of Commerce, which instituted one of the most interesting monitorships that has ever been designed. At the time of our recording, we uh, were not sure that that monitorship will still be approved as Congress is trying to overturn it, but at this point, it still appears to be moving forward, even with some uncertainty. I know you'll find this podcast fascinating. It's a very interesting look at a topic that doesn't get a lot of play because, frankly, you don't have monitorships uh, for 10 years embedded in a foreign company. So uh, lots to uh, unpack and really go into the weeds on. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and the author of the Complete Compliance Handbook. Back again with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder and editor of Radical Compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where we take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds, to unpack a compliance or compliance-related topic. Today, we're going to take on a matter that has had as many odd twists as I've seen something lately have, and that's the ZTE saga. We're going to take a look at the uh, purported settlement from the Department of Justice from the compliance perspective, Matt, so that with that uh, twisting uh, introduction, welcome. Hello, Tom. It's always good to be here. So, Matt, you had a really interesting post earlier this week, uh, very conveniently providing a series of FAQs 
for uh, answers to FAQs on the ZTE compliance settlement. You want to kind of set the stage for us? Yeah. So like you said, there are plenty of twists and turns to what this is. And so we might as well recap it. ZTE is the Chinese telecom firm, large firm, one of the largest telecom players in China and a large player in the United States as well. They make cell phones and other equipment like that. Uh, ZTE ran into a lot of trouble with the U.S. government for export control violations where it was sending sensitive telecom technology to places like um, North Korea, Iran, South Sudan, other not nice places. So March 2017, uh, the new Trump administration still in place then, uh, the Justice Department hit ZTE with a $900 million regulatory fine, March 2017. And then uh, they had a settlement agreement, and it came to light later on in 2017 that after that settlement was in place, ZTE was continuing to make false statements to the federal government here about what it was doing. So that led to another crackdown in April where the Commerce Department imposed an order for U.S. companies could not supply any goods to ZTE. Now, in practical terms, that was going to be the death sentence for ZTE. They couldn't get any components. They therefore have no products. ZTE was in real danger. But then again, there were some very egregious uh, misconduct and export control violations. Enter Donald Trump, who on May 13 sent out a tweet saying that he had been in talks with the Chinese government. Who is he? I assume it's just Donald Trump personally was on the phone with the Chinese leaders, Xi Jinping. Um, but anyways, that Donald Trump said that he was going to find a way to keep CTE open. Uh, and then that led us finally to this new settlement order that the Commerce Department put out, I think, on June 12th. Um, that spelled out all of these long stipulations, including replacing all the senior managers, senior vice presidents and above. They're all fired. New people brought in. Replacing all of the board directors. They're all fired. New people going to be brought in. And creating this compliance coordinator position to be embedded in ZTE. Um, and that's where I'll take a pause right now. But that's brought us up to where we are with this very long uh, order that the Commerce Department published last week. It's 41 pages long, and I spent some time reading through it. Indeed you did, and you conveniently uh, a link to it for those who may want to uh, read through it as well. So the uh, most interesting part, and I shouldn't say that because there are lots of interesting parts, but one of the interesting parts was the embeddation of a compliance function in the uh, company into ZTE, which would report directly to both the Department of Commerce and the ZTE board. Mm-hmm. Jerry Zach, the incoming CEO of the SCCE, in a blog post earlier this week on uh, the FCPA blog, correctly, I think, called out that this was not a compliance function. This was really a monitor function. And yeah. it was a monitor function which would report to the Department of Commerce. Uh, I've worked for a company that had a, a monitor under the FCPA. So I certainly understand uh, that protocol and that process, but the monitor function, uh, when I uh, read through the order, Matt, it it seemed to me that the monitor function would only be for the export control compliance issues. Did you have that sense or did you have the sense that there would be a broader compliance 
uh, sought by this monitor? Uh, well, yeah, this is where things start to get really a bit confusing. We should note that ZTE already has a compliance monitor. His name is James Stanton. He has been in place since last year. He's a lawyer. He lives down in Dallas where the ZTE case was being heard in uh, the federal courts down there. So there's him. Uh, ZTE already has a compliance function with compliance officers here in the United States and there in China. Uh, the current U.S. compliance officer, who is also the chief export control officer for all of ZTE, he's a guy who's down in Texas, his name is Matt Bell, um, and then there is somebody whose name is, I think, um, Zhen Nan, uh, he is a Chinese national who lives and works in China, who is their acting chief compliance officer for the whole company and also their chief intellectual property lawyer. And ZTE has also been in trouble for stealing intellectual property. That's another beef the U.S. has with this company. So we've got a whole lot of this. Jerry Zak is absolutely correct that if you read through the settlement order, um, this person seems to be more of a compliance monitor. The exact title in the order is the Special Compliance Coordinator, the SCC. Um, and when you read it, that person's duties are to assess and monitor and observe what is going on specifically for export controls. That's the language that is used when they're talking about this person. Elsewhere in the order, it does say that uh, ZTE must implement a complete compliance program within six months. And it does not say anything about only export controls, only FCPA or anything else. In that other section, it says you need a compliance program. Um, but this one, what is this special compliance coordinator actually assessing and monitoring? It seems to be just export controls. And how does that relate to all those other people I mentioned two minutes ago? We don't really know. Um, there seems to be a bit of a confusion here about roles and assignments. Uh, that's the, the big takeaway I had in reading the order. So the two monitor monitors, two-person monitorship, it's, uh, I would say, very unusual, although I believe there are two monitors in the Odebrecht case, Brascom, or, uh, and or perhaps the JBF case, um, one Brazilian, one the, uh, from the United States. So I think there's at least some precedent or a precedent for that. But mm -hmm. the monitor you refer to in Dallas, he uh, was appointed by the federal uh, district judge who took the guilty plea. And I believe that he is tasked with monitoring ZTE's compliance with the criminal complaint filed by the Department of Justice and that he reports to the court. So um, it does make some intellectual sense or uh, sense to me on an intellectual basis that you could have two monitors focused on two different components, um, particularly where you have a criminal plea and an obligation to adhere to the um, resolution of the criminal matter and uh, a separate matter, a separate monitor for the regulatory part, which is the Department of Justice. I certainly agree it's unusual, but I guess I could see at least a, an argument for that. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are, do, you, I, do you have any thoughts on that one way or the other? Well, I, I actually, just as a point of historical reference, the record I've ever seen for a corporate organization was three monitors. That was the United <laughs> Launch uh, Alliance back in probably about 10 years ago. 
So that was a joint alliance from two different aerospace companies that each had their own compliance monitor already. And then there was another compliance monitor brought in for the joint venture that they were doing. They were building Saturn V rockets or the replacements for that or something or other. But that at least was... Um, you know, frankly, it was all in one country. It was all in one business. Everybody understood we have to make this work. And I knew some of the compliance professionals involved in that uh, very complex relationship, but they did say they all made it work because they sat down together. I'm not saying this can't work. I'm just saying there's a whole lot of monitoring going on. Um, they're reporting into different people. And then there is still this, uh, I believe a totally separate actual compliance function that would not be this special compliance coordinator we just described. There supposedly is going to be, I guess, some compliance officer who has a day job of running a compliance program and building it because clearly the one they had didn't work. Uh, but there is a different part of the settlement order that does say they must implement a compliance program within six months. Um, so would this new monitor get to observe that? Would he get to observe only the parts that are about export control compliance? Are we going to have multiple programs that aren't necessarily uh, unified in a cohesive way? Uh, that all remains unclear from the settlement order, and I am not entirely sure um, how this is going to work structurally. But well, I suppose we'll find out. And that actually does bring up another point. That assumes any of this actually comes to pass because this deal that President Trump seems to have cut specifically for ZTE and the Chinese president, uh, there are a lot of people in the, the Congress who are objecting to this. And uh, so they're moving to have some legislation that would prohibit the president from lifting this order. And so then we're back to does ZTE go and die a graceless death anyways, and all of this goes away. We don't know, but that's where we are right now. So, Matt, when this uh, for, uh, order was uh, uh, um, issued by the Department of Commerce and the uh, then the attendant uh, remarks by the president and the resolution, it really uh, took me back to Enron, but more specifically Arthur Anderson. Uh, because that had been a really formative part or or issue for myself, particularly around corporations going to trial. And that, uh, for people who may not remember, Arthur Anderson was accused of destroying documents related to Enron, went to trial, uh, lost, took a, a guilty verdict, and then went out of business. And and uh, I, for one, thought that that was a pretty powerful sign of why a company shouldn't uh, bet the company and go to trial in that situation. But it turned out that um, that was all uh, a PR campaign dreamed up by Arthur Anderson. And Jesse Eisenberg reported on that extensively in his book, The Chicken Shit Club. But here we had a company that literally said the, these sanctions will put us out of business. Um, so we have uh, up to 75,000 Chinese potentially losing their jobs. But the thing that uh, I also wanted to focus on was what was going to be the blowback to American companies, not from the political angle, but Qualcomm was their largest supplier. And was there any consideration of this impact on Qualcomm or any other U.S. supplier? And then if we flip the other stream and go the other way, what about U.S. companies that were purchasing the end product from ZTE uh, to sell in the United States? Was there any consideration for that? Is, is that something you've considered as well? 
Well, in some terms, yes. And I think it raises a very valid point that really Donald Trump has decided to put a too big to fail label on ZTE. Um, and the reasons, you know, are that we want to think about it. Well, why would he do that? Um, Number one, since you mentioned companies that might be buying ZTE products, it is worth noting ZTE is in a lot of trouble in this country because it is partly under control of the Chinese government. And there are deep suspicions that it has spyware that is used in some of its products. The Pentagon does not allow people to buy and operate ZTE phones if you are an employee. Full stop. It thinks that this is a security risk. So... There is a certain question about do we want to be doing business with this party at all? It is a state-owned enterprise by the Chinese government, which, according to some other tweets from a certain president, it supposedly is our strategic enemy. And here we are putting the too-big-to-fail label on it. I think what um, is troubling to me, for any compliance officers who are listening, you who might be thinking, well, you know, this could be a cool gig. It would be interesting to have that on my LinkedIn profile for a while. I don't doubt that as a job, this might be an intellectually challenging and professionally rewarding experience in any other administration. But Donald Trump put this too big to fail label on ZTE so he could get some other benefit from the Chinese around greater trade policy concerns. He is using this as a bargaining chip. Do you want to take that job knowing that you might wake up someday and find that the president has bargained you away by tweet? Because that is a possibility. Do you want to take this job and find out three weeks from now that the Senate and Congress, uh, the House of Representatives, have banned ZTE anyways, and now you're out of the job? Because that is a risk. Um, really, what's going on here is that by bailing out ZTE, the president hopes to be in the good graces of China for something that he can then get them to can make trade concessions elsewhere. That is not a good precedent for compliance officers. We're all about having a good, clear, objective, independent process that gets to a result. Sometimes you don't like the result. Sometimes if you're really bad, the result is you're out of business. But hey, that's the result and that's the process. Uh, now we have the whimsy of Donald Trump. This is, well, I need to get something over the Chinese. We're just going to make the ZTE thing go away. And that's very much what happened here. Um, and so I think that if you start short-circuiting the process, that is a bad precedent to set. You have to think about what other companies in the future might we see this again? What if he overrules the Pentagon on banning Kaspersky Labs from their antivirus software because we want to be in the good graces of Vladimir Putin? Why not? It's the exact same principle applied to a different country and applied to a different company. But for ZTE specifically, my question is like, who's really going to want that job right now? Because it is surrounded by uncertainty. And even if some of the uncertainty goes away, you know, even if this ZTE ban fails in Congress and ZTE does get to stay in business for now, you really think Donald Trump is going to lose sleep over changing his mind some point in the future? Because he might. And so do you want to risk your career on that? Yeah, it's, I, I think that somebody who might want this job would be like, you should really consider the uncertainty around it. And the president that Donald Trump is introducing here is, is not a good one, and it shouldn't happen. But you know, there's a lot of things that this president is doing that are questionable judgments in the totality, and, and this is just one.
So let me ask you to, to maybe look into the veiled land of the future for one more speculative question, because this is one I've been thinking about as well, which is that if ZTE, uh, if the commerce order is upheld either from the Trump administration or uh, the original order, uh, rather, uh, which essentially put them out of business or through congressional action, and that occurs, and the Chinese, as a response, say, okay, we are now going to close ranks, we're going to keep this company alive, and we're going to develop our own technology, which will allow us to uh, build, uh, to have the tools, or chips rather, to build phones. We don't have to worry about a supply chain from the United States. We don't have to worry about export control laws from any other country, and we're going to become self-sufficient in this. Uh, It seems to me that hurts the uh, uh, long-term interest of the United States by taking that position. Well, I would um, I would even say there's a bigger strategic risk here is that if we start saying anything is fair game to be able to advance our objectives, uh, if if I were a U.S. company, I'd worry that the Chinese would retaliate by stealing my intellectual property even more. Theoretically, for, since the Obama administration, we have a detente that stealing corporate IP is not going to become a uh, political football. But if uh, the U.S. and Donald Trump keep going back and forth over ZTE and trying to find these things, you know, trying to use them this way, if anything is fair, well, that's anything. The Chinese have done it before. Maybe they'll do it again. Um, those kind of bigger strategic risks are what people need to think about. Uh, I mean, I understand that that is probably a pay grade above what compliance officers usually have to worry about, but it is a scenario that is not implausible as we keep going back and forth about what ZTE is, is or is not doing and how we're using its business conduct as a bargaining chip for bigger things. Um, you could easily see this, you know, that we're, we're going to inept, ineptly bungle into some situations that do nobody any favors. So this, Matt, has been a fascinating exploration of several issues related to ZTE, the Department of Commerce Monitorship, and what I think are very uncharted waters. So, uh Kudos for the post and the very, very informative FAQs. Thank you. So, Matt, uh, as you know, we are recording this on uh, June 15th, so I also wanted to wish you a happy Bloomsday for tomorrow. I am very impressed, Tom, that indeed you managed to get the the James Joyce literary reference into FCPA compliance. I I was counting on it, and you, you delivered. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only weekly podcast which takes a deep dive into a compliance or compliance-related topic. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at Matt Kelly or mkelly at RadicalCompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening to this week, and I hope you'll join us again next week when Matt and I take another deep dive into the weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.